Pastor Clem, tell me a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? How did you come into the ministry? How did you end up being here in Cranford? It's a long journey. I grew up in Newark and Irvington, pretty much Essex County urban area, and kind of a city kid. And I was always intrigued by people. Always felt insecure, though, because in the environment I grew up in, you had to protect yourself. You had to be suspicious. You had to be cautious. You know, you were always looking over your shoulder. And in my heart, I always knew that something's got to be different here. Why are we living in such a in an environment that is just so tense and hostile and uh, puts you on edge? I grew up that way all through high school and uh, and college. Things began to change for me. I, I started to wonder and think. And my dad was probably the biggest influence on me because he was such a strong, uh, independent guy. He always went to work no matter how sick he was. I mean, we had seven kids in our family. We were just full of activity and things like that. And dad was always, it seemed like he was always working, 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 working. But he loved us so much that any time he had off, he would just pour into us. But one of the last things he did before he passed away, he passed away in 1981 on Valentine's Day. And he had a visit from a chaplain. And I'd never seen my dad in church. Never. It was always mom that sent us. Mom, you know, was the religious leader of the home. And uh, in an Italian home, I guess it's more matriarchal society and system. So she was involved with that and got us to church every Sunday or we didn't eat. But dad was never there. And the only time I heard dad mention God's name was usually with curses. <laughs> but he was a strong guy and uh, he never asked anybody for anything. And yet, in his last days, he he was meeting with the chaplain, and I was aware that he had made his peace with God. And in making his peace with God, I said to myself, Dad wouldn't do that unless he knew something that I don't know. And that started my quest to learn and to uh, search and to really ask God a direct question. The first time I did that in my life, I said, God, Dad yielded to you for a reason. He saw something that I'm not seeing and I need to see it. That summer, I did what I did every summer. I uh, went on my Jersey Shore quest with my friends. We'd rent the home <laughs> and, you know, down in Manasquan, and we'd just go crazy. But this summer was different because I was reflective of what Dad had done, and, and God was starting to answer my question. I remember being in, in one of the bars. If I gave you the name, everyone would know it, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I was there, as I usually was, during a happy hour weekend, and I was leaning against the wall, and, and, and those bars were, were seedy and dark, and it seemed like everyone was having a good time. Noisy, loud, laughing, a lot of interaction. And I was just looking around the room, and I felt the room change. It was almost as if I was there, but looking from a different perspective. And the room changed everyone's personality, everyone's face began to change, and I saw almost like things drop off, and I saw a little deeper into everybody. I saw fear, anxiety, hurt, brokenness, loneliness, all these things, and I had this impression, very strong impression. It wasn't an audible voice, but I felt so strong that God was saying to me, what you're looking for isn't here. And then I just felt this peace come over me, and after that, I just started to search even deeper. And what I did was I started to read the Bible. I started to go to church. And I found out that God wasn't so much an intellectual journey as it was a relational one. 
And all of a sudden, I felt close to God like I never did before. I didn't understand it. It was all new to me. But something happened in my life that made this sense of closeness to me. Like, like I had a friend. I had someone who understood me, someone who loved me just the way I was. But with such a positive influence on me, I was getting better. My brokenness, my loneliness was starting to dissipate. And I was growing stronger in accepting who I was who God made me to be. And and from there, I did what so many other people do, and maybe not everyone's familiar with these terms, but I turned over my life to God. I asked Jesus Christ into my heart, and my life was different. All of a sudden, I had a purpose, I had a plan, I had a direction, and it was God leading me. And I always knew in my life that I wanted to be productive, I wanted to make a difference. But I never could in an urban environment, you know, with all the insecurities and the fears and and all of the things that come with it. <laughs> it just beats you down. But this was different. My life was brand new. And, and so my big thing was I wanted to make people's dreams come true. That's why I got into the ministry. I became like the cheerleader for everybody. I would talk to people everywhere I went. Tell me what you think about. If you had no restrictions. What is the one thing you want to do in life? And I would just engage people that way and get excited about that. And I'd say, well, let's talk about that. How, how do you think that can happen? And, and that's what I do here at the church. I mean, I am probably, if someone was to categorize me from a secular position, they'd probably say I'm a motivational speaker. But I think I'm a motivational activator. In other words, I walk with people in their dreams. And I meet with people all the time. I I believe that everybody's born with an innate understanding that they were created to be productive. But things happen in life to all of us. Well, when those things are taken away by a support system of someone that believes in you and starts to draw out your potential, that's what happened to me. My senior pastor did that for me. When it didn't look on the surface like I had anything to offer, he drew out potential in me that was in a seed form, wasn't germinated, but it was there. And he breathed life on it, and it came to fruition, and my whole life was changed. That's what I want to do to everybody. And that's why we're here at Calvary Tabernacle in Cranford. I live in Cranford. I love Cranford. That's kind of how I got in the ministry. Now, for Calvary Tabernacle, it's one of the newer churches in Cranford. When you look at uh, some of the historic churches, like the Presbyterian Church or the Roman Catholic Church, for those folks who aren't that familiar with Calvary Tabernacle, Tell us where you're located, which the building itself is a, a little bit different from a typical church building. How long you've been in Cranford and, and some of the programs you're involved with here? We've been in Cranford since 2000. We purchased the building that used to be Clark Dorff's manufacturing facility, and we looked at it as a sheep shed. In other words, it had the capacity to bring in our ministry and to do training but we do most of our training and activation outside the walls. We come here for congregational things, for discipleship training, for ministry training, and for celebration, for worship. But what we encourage everyone to do is to be an impact in their society and their communities. And we're trying to do that in a broad spectrum in Union County. We believe that this is the region in which we minister. We came originally from Elizabeth, but everyone from our church seemed to come outside of the city but we do a lot of ministry in the city. And so while we are a church now in a suburban community, we are really incredibly diverse. Probably the demographics are 
less Caucasian than any other time in our history. And we are filled with all incredible languages and cultures and nationalities. And it is exciting to see because I believe Sunday morning was meant to be that. A culmination of, of nations coming together under one roof to say, we love God and there's no difference between us. It doesn't matter about skin color or accents, but the same God is flowing through our hearts. And so that's kind of the makeup or the dem demographic of the church, but our ministry focus is community oriented. I try to tell the church, think of us more as a community center than a traditional religious institution. And with that perspective, I want them to understand that they have the capacity to make life better wherever they are. First in their homes, on their blocks, in their neighborhoods, in their townships, in their workplaces, everywhere they go when they cross a stranger's path, they have the capacity to bring about a positive impact that is going to help somebody grow. We talk about that all the time. We have access to that with different opportunities and partnerships with outside ministries. We don't believe in reinventing the wheel. We look for ministries that are doing it right, and we say, can we serve you? We're doing that now with a ministry in Elizabeth called Street Light Mission. They have a walk-in center right in the middle of Elizabeth, right by the train station, and people come in off the streets. They have a street church on Sunday nights. It's probably the only church that I know of that has a smoking section. It's incredible because people sit at the tables, they're served dinner, they're given a devotional, they're prayed for, and then they're given resources to help them, help them find shelter, help them get jobs, help them get off the streets, help them get off drugs. And we go there once a month with that ministry and we pour in, we cook all the dinners for it, we bring all the food there and we're partnering with them on a regular basis. And that's our heart. We do that again with another ministry that works in this region and the five boroughs of New York City called the Relief Bus with Richard and Dixie Galloway, the founders. Now their son Juan is the president and director of Relief Bus. And what they do is they take a resource center, put it in a converted school bus and go to the streets and the areas and neighborhoods that are most destitute and most desperate. Very seldom will someone walk into a religious institution or a church building, a traditional looking facility. But this ministry center, resource center, is fully outfitted to bring soup, food, clothing, and it has a counseling center on board with immediate resources to get people jobs, get them off the streets. It is amazing. And so we go out with them well, one Friday night a month. We do that in Newark particularly. They also go in, into Elizabeth and the five boroughs of New York City. And we send teams from this church. We try to help every ministry that's in the church to have in their schedule where they would go out at least four times a year in these ministry opportunities so that they understand that the poor are not a problem to be solved, but they're a blessing to impact our hearts for change so that we understand that we can do a lot more together than we ever could separate. And so we want to integrate, we want to be involved with the communities, wherever they are and whatever their situation is, and not just say, when you're smiling, we'll be near. We want to be a shoulder for people to cry on. And we found out that we get more blessed when we're there talking with the stories. I've always said this, if you want to have a heart for the poor, then have an ear to listen to their story.
because they didn't intend to be there. It was not by intention. It was probably so similar to our own lives that one twist and one turn could have put us where they are. And so we try to encourage everybody. We are here to be our brother's keeper. And we love, I say it all the time, I say church happens wherever you are because you're the church, not the building. It's flesh and blood. It walks with you. And God created us to be containers for his grace and his love.